Welcome to Behavioral Science Uncovered, the podcast about behavioral science and how it is made. Welcome everyone. Today I'm talking with Florence Zimmermann, professor at the Brick Institute on Behavior and Inequality and professor at the University of Bonn. We will discuss his paper, Associative Memory and Belief Formation. Thanks, Raphael. My, my pleasure. Very happy, very happy to be here. So let's start with the first question. Much of your recent work revolves around the formation of beliefs. How did you end up working on these topics? So I think I became interested in studying beliefs sort of rather early during my PhD. Because back then, sort of a couple of scholars had argued that the beliefs and expectations might play a crucial role for many, you know, interesting economic phenomena, understanding boom and bust cycles, things like that. And I felt that sort of on the behavioral side, there was a bit of an imbalance between work on preferences compared to work on beliefs, even though I think now this, this has clearly changed in, in recent years. This turned out to be very, very successful. So recently you were entitled an ERC starting ground for your research on memory and belief formation. So when did you actually decide to apply and how was your overall experience with it? So I think this had been on my mind for a while. And then sort of more concretely, I felt that when I started getting interested in memory and belief formation, that that might make a, a good case for a grant proposal. But the, honestly, the most concrete reason for applying now was that this year was actually my last chance to apply for a for a starting grant because then, you know, I'm aged out of the starting grade uh, cohort. But the second question about sort of the, the, the overall process, I think, yeah, this went very, very smoothly. So I, I don't have much insights there. It's a bit of an administrative hassle, but there are many people that help you with that. So overall, the experience was, was quite positive, yeah. Okay, okay. Like, how long did it take to prepare the proposal? So I would, uh, it's a bit difficult to measure because... Initially, you know, it's more of a thinking process, but I would say maybe between four and, and six weeks. So good payoff. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your paper, Associative Memory and Belief Formation. Could you maybe briefly outline the main message? Sure, sure, sure. I'm happy to do that. So what we do in this project, as the title suggests, is that we study the role of associative memory for belief formation. So I think until now there has been very little empirical research that ties memory to the belief formation literature in, uh, in econ. Now the specific principle we, we are focusing on is this principle of associative recall, which I think is, is really one of the, the core principles that is coming out of, of memory research. And it basically says that the recall of a memory trace is, is essentially cued well, by, by cues you are observing that are mentally associated with the trace. And what you can easily see in, in uh, models, for instance, is that this principle of associated recall can actually generate overreaction to news. So okay. what we do in this, in this project is we, we design an experiment that allows you to study or that allows us to study the causal role of this principle of associative recall for belief formation. And so what we can show is that it is indeed this principle of associated recall that can generate overreaction to news. And so because this is a very sort of controlled lab environment, we can rather precisely isolate the role of associated recall and can really show that this is what causes overreaction in our setting. And we can also sort of precisely predict when, when it does actually generate overreaction, but also when it generates underreaction. Any listener is welcome to take a closer look at the paper. I think there is much to learn from. <laughs> Thank you. Both of your courses, Benjamin Enke and Frederik Schwerter, have their roots in Bonn. 
Did you establish your relationship during your time at Bonn or did you meet them at a later stage? How did the cooperation start? So I think I met both of them while we were all PhD students in, uh, in Bonn. So we, so I started working with Benny on another project, Correlation, Neglect and Belief Formation, uh-huh. and with Freddy on a project on the role of experiences uh, on uh, people's beliefs about the trustworthiness of others. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now about the specific project on associative memory, if I remember correctly, I think we had discussed ideas related to memory and belief formation for quite a while. And then sort of once this the more specific idea took shape, we just decided to, you know, jointly work on this project. But I met both of them during the PhD. It's a nice example, actually, like of converging research interest, I would say. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. <laughs> We will now turn to a specific question concerning the paper. The formal framework is based on Bordado et al. and Miller-Nason. How was the process? Did you start with the interest to explore the role of associative recall for belief formation and look for suitable models? Or did you find the theoretical framework appealing and wanted to test the predictions? Mm-hmm. So I think sort of initially we were just very excited about potential implications uh-huh. associative recall for, for belief formation. And then we, I guess we felt that we needed a model to sort of, you know, guide our thinking and develop clear hypotheses. And uh, in doing so, we realized that these models are sort of the, the basic formal framework actually already existed in the work by Bodalo, Jenny Schleifer, and in the work by Molenathan that you, that you just described. Uh-huh. And then sort of we, our life was easy because we could sort of rely and build on their formal framework. So the general process was with application and then look for the workers model and try to include the ideas. Exactly, exactly. And in our case, in our case, it was easy because the, like I said, sort of the, the very basic from the framework already. So could you guide us through the timeline of the project? Like, for example, at which time was the definite research question articulated? Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, that's a good question. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure I remember. So I think we sort of developed the main idea maybe in summer 2018. Uh, but you know, then of course it, you know, it took a couple of months to you know refine the idea and articulate a clear hypothesis. But if I remember correctly, it was sort of in summer 2018 where the sort of the basic research question took took shape. So how long did you design the experiment afterwards? Like, and how long did it take to finally run it? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Let's see. So I think, well, I don't know. I think certainly a couple of months. So we, we, we've been going back and forth on a, you know, a couple of different design ideas. And then there were a couple of design steps that were somewhat involved so that, or that, you know, took a lot of time in, in sorting out. Uh-huh. So I can't give you a precise number, but I would certainly a couple of months. Do you have a favorite software or any recommendation to run experiments? For example, O-Tree or Z-Tree. In the end, you did run your experiment with Quartrix. Was there any specific reason? No, personally, I don't have a favorite. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a favorite <laughs> software. I think we we decided for Qualtrics mostly for convenience because the experiment is individual decision making, and then things are relatively easy to to implement in Qualtrics. And sort of uh-huh. the, you know the interface looks looks reasonably nice and so on. But I think it's really a question of convenience and a question of you know how how powerful is the software? Does it allow you to implement the, the kind of experiment you want to implement? I see, yeah. How did you come up with the creative stories within your experiment? 
so if I remember correctly, I think we had agreed on a sort of a couple of criteria for these stories. And then basically we split it up. So each of us had to come up with a bunch of stories and then we refined them together. So it was a sort of a group effort, I would say. <laughs> you did pre-register your experiment. Would you say that pre-registering has limited your ability to incorporate new ideas afterwards? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's not that pre-registration is really entirely inflexible, right? So for instance, in our case, sort of over time, we develop new treatments and, and new hypotheses. And, uh, you know, with pre-registration, that, that still allows you to do that if you then just add a new pre-registration plan to the initial plan, right? So I think in total, we now had maybe three pre-registration plans that sort of one came after the other. And you just need to be transparent about this and about the timeline. And I think in general... I think pre-registration is, you know, is not entirely inflexible. Uh -huh. And I think uh, in particular, as long as you are transparent with what you're doing, it, it, I think it provides you with, with quite reasonable flexibility, I would say. Okay, so how much do you feel has the project altered as a result of conversations with colleagues, seminar and conference presentations? Oh, I think, to be honest, I think with all projects, I think the... This had a substantial, this had a very substantial impact throughout actually. So from the beginning where we started to think about the, the idea, we, we received many helpful feedback until the point when we, you know, circulated the first draft and started uh, presenting. So I think throughout there was, there, we received great comments and great feedback that, you know, helped, helped shape uh, the project. So you would suggest that early career researchers should connect as much as possible and present as much as possible. Absolutely. So I think presenting ideas, testing ideas, getting feedback is, is absolutely crucial, I think. And it's also, you know, learning how to deal with feedback and how to incorporate it, I, I think is super important. Absolutely. Were the econometric methods clear from the beginning or did they evolve with the design? And more specifically, after the pilot study? Mm -hmm. So I think in our case, It, uh, it was not clear from the beginning, but it was clear after we had the model. Because then the model really very strongly guided the, the empirical analysis. And it also very strongly guided the, the pre-registration. So I think once we had the model, the, the basic analysis was, was very clear. Okay, I see. The model led to the method. Let's move away from discussing the paper and instead imagine working day. I'm curious about how you schedule your day. Do you schedule in time alone or time with colleagues just for brainstorming ideas? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Let's see. So normal working day. So I try to sleep very long. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. So the, what I try to do is I usually try to keep the mornings free for, for research. Uh -huh. um, so that I have, you know, that, that there's no appointments and, and stuff like that in mornings, really only, ideally only research. And then uh -huh. the, the afternoon, I would say, is for meetings, calls with co-authors but also you know students writing referee reports administrative stuff so that's sort of my as a, so that's sort of the schedule i try to maintain so research in the morning and then in the afternoon meetings calls i mean this obviously can also be research right when it's with with students or ras or, or collaborators but then okay. again also you know stuff like referee reports administrative stuff so i try to do this uh, not in the morning but but in the afternoon so you try to keep things separated Yeah, but I mean, that's, you know, that's just that most of the time works well, but that it, that it works well for others. But that's sort of my, my strategy to, to schedule my days. 
And how does it look like when you actually write up the paper? So most of the time, when it's a, when it's a, when it involves multiple co-authors, we just split tasks. So we say, look, somebody's going to write the write up the experimental design. If it's an experimental paper, somebody's going to summarize the the results we have. Another uh -huh. might might write the introduction. So typically, we split tasks and then we exchange and and, uh, and refine and so on. I think if for my for the few single authored papers I have, if I remember correctly, there I didn't have a particular strategy. I just wrote them from the beginning. So literally, ah. I started with the introduction and then design, results, conclusion. So very simple. <laughs> When do you decide to circulate a first working paper version? Do you have any recommendation here? That's also a good question. So I think it can depend a little bit on the specific projects, whether you uh -huh. worry that there might be other researchers that work on something similar or something like that. But I would say in general... I, I try to circulate papers among friends, you know, rather soon. In particular, you know, if, I, if I'm looking for specific feedback on something, and then I circulate it more broadly, really only when, when it's in, when I would say it's in, in very good shape. But I think among friends, I, I, you know, I try to get feedback as soon as possible. Okay, I see. So a formal working paper version would be circulated later. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Okay. okay. So that I think there it makes sense when it's in sort of quite decent shape. To conclude the interview, what single piece of advice would you give to early career researchers who try to write a publishable paper in behavioral economics? Are there any hot topics at the moment? Ah, so I think these are quite different questions. I think the, let's see, so about the first one, to be, to be honest there, I really think everybody needs to find an own approach or own, own best practice on how to do this and how to proceed. What I will say is that, I mean, I, I think it's somewhat trivial, but I'm going to say it nonetheless, which is that find a topic that, that you are really very excited about. And the reason is that I think, you know, this, this whole process of writing a paper, you know, from the development of an idea to the design of an, if it's an experimental paper, to the design of an experiment, to the data collection, data analysis, writing up, revising, revising again, all of this, you know, takes take so much time, even though it's a lot of fun, it takes so much time and, and energy that I think it, you should really focus this energy on, on stuff that, that excites you, I think. So that would be, yeah, if you, if you, if you force me to say something, that would be what I, what I would recommend. <laughs> so be excited about your topic. <laughs> yeah, again, I think it's quite trivial, but I think it should not be underestimated given the amount of time you're gonna gonna work on a specific project and also the, you know, just the overall time span. I mean, some projects can take years essentially, right? Until the, yeah. I mean, there's projects where, where, where there are five years between the initial idea and the published paper. And uh, so when you're not excited about it, I think it, it's going to be a painful process. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. Brian, thank you very much for your time. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. The insights were fantastic, and I believe they are very valuable for all of us. Great. Thanks, Afrin, and thanks for having me. Dear listeners, please stay tuned for more conversations about behavioral science and how it is made. We hope to welcome you back at the next episode.